Welcome to Poems for People Who Hate Poetry, with your host, Kirk Barbera. Everyday Conversations with Life-Altering Poems. We don't take dreams seriously anymore. In the Poe poems that I've been reading in the month of October, we have covered his view of dreams, which is a little bit different than you might think, because he is showing a haunting side of dreams, but he's not calling it nightmares. And I find that important. In a great work of art, every single detail is critical, because there are greatly thought-out artworks. So, we covered, for instance, and we talked about the poem El Dorado, where a knight goes on a quest and search for the mythical land of gold. He is animated, fueled, encouraged to achieve this dream, but he becomes fatigued as he found no spot of ground that looked like El Dorado. In the poem The Raven, a man is haunted by a memory of his lost love, Lenore. He is being tormented by his imaginings, where he, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dreamed, dared to dream before. In the poem Dreamland, the narrator, the character Poe, enters this world of dreams. Here he meets sheeted memories. These are ghosts of the past. He is haunted by the past in the present. So we're dealing a lot with love and loss. And then in the poem that I'm going to read today, Annabelle Lee, we really get this hammered home once again in a very real way of losing an actual person and dealing with that, which the Raven isn't about losing a person. It's about losing your mind because you lost a person. Annabelle Lee is about the woman that he lost, Annabelle Lee. Now, this one's not called Lenore, although he has a couple poems called with Lenore as the character, but this is Annabelle Lee. Okay, so we don't take dreams seriously enough. And by dreams, I want to point out, I, I don't just mean the dreams you have when you go to sleep. It's more our proclivity to want a thing in the future that I'm talking about. There's the idea, for instance, of to have loved and lost is better to uh, not have loved at all. Dreaming implies the ability, the chance of losing that dream or not achieving that dream, that you want something, you want someone, and then you don't get them or you lose that thing that you dreamed. And when your wildest dreams come true, it can also come untrue and go away. Now, Poe focuses on the melancholy, the depressive, the the haunting, the loss side of it. But this is something that is a reality in life and I think is worth some contemplation. I don't think you should dwell on it as Poe did, and he died very young, and I believe this is possibly part of the reason that he died so young, is that he was so focused on all the tragedy, he never saw any of the good things. He, you know, I, I tell the story in one of the previous shows that Poe was often given the chance to own and to edit and or be the manager, essentially, of a magazine. And this was in the 19th century when this was a pretty big deal. It wasn't like an online magazine that everybody can start on Medium. This was, a, you know, a, actually had a circulation. There was a staff, there was a budget, and it deteriorated under his tutelage, under his ownership. And partly, I think, because he saw all the negatives. He always saw the negatives. So I don't think you should dwell and to, you know, only be in the negatives. 
but nor do I think you should ignore that side of yourself, which I think is something that is often encouraged by the optimist. You don't ever want to contemplate. And, you know, if you find yourself in the field, uh, you know, in the realm of constantly dreaming and thinking about these negative things, it is very, very bad advice to take and to give someone who's experiencing melancholy or depression uh, or, or any kind of negativity like that to simply say, just don't be negative. Because it's not that simple. If it's not built into you like that, then don't just be a cookie cutter of some other person's advice. Someone says, just ignore your emotions. The Stoics often do this. Or I really love Gary Vaynerchuk, but Gary Vaynerchuk always says, just don't be negative. And he's at least good enough to also say one technique that is very helpful, which is to surround yourself with optimistic people as much as possible. And this can be a slow process. And you know we could always talk about this in future episodes. But the, the point is, there are ways around it. But the first thing you have to do is to acknowledge it. You can't just pretend that you're, you're not upset or frustrated or sad or, or anything like that. You must embrace your emotions in order to understand yourself. Edgar Allan Poe did more than embrace them. He focused on them. And that, I think, was probably the problem. But we also have this beautiful language for which we can put our understanding, you know, we can grasp our own understanding of our tragedies, our losses, our sadness through the tragic life and the works of Edgar Allan Poe. So today I'm going to read the poem Annabelle Lee by Edgar Allan Poe, which, as you might guess, is about a woman who he lost. Now, it's not literally an Annabelle Lee. It's, you know, there was no real Annabelle Lee, as far as we know. But we do know that Poe felt that he lost and was abandoned by pretty much everybody in his life. And he had a very particular, um, what's the word we can use here, particularly odd <laughs> um, relationship with women. I mean, in fact, after college, he fell in love with an older woman. And when she died, I believe of tuberculosis or some you know, disease of that, of that era, he spent lots of time by her grave. And I think to some degree, there was a pleasure and a pain that he always associated with this melancholy. So I hope that you don't dwell and become a satanic, satanic cult person that just worships hatred and devilishness and you know, pain and suffering, but that you acknowledge it, that you embrace it when it happens, and that you relish it in a, in a certain sense, that you understand where it's coming from, and you live a flush, flourishing inner life, which means the sadness, the tragedy, the comedy, the optimism, the joys, the happinesses. So stick around for Annabelle Lee by Edgar Allan Poe. It was many and many a year ago, in a kingdom by the sea, that a maiden there lived, whom you may know, by the name of Annabelle. And this maiden she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. She was a child, and I was a child, in this kingdom by the sea. But we loved with a love that was more than love, I 
and my Annabelle Lee, with the love that the winged seraphs of heaven coveted her and me. And this was the reason that long ago, in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud by night, chilling my Annabelle Lee, so that her high-born kinsmen came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulchre in this kingdom by the sea. The angels, not half so happy in heaven, went envying her and me. Yes, that was the reason, as all men know in this kingdom by the sea, that the wind came out of the cloud, chilling and killing my Annabelle Lee. But our love, it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we, of many far wiser than we, and neither the angels in heaven above nor the demons down under the sea can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabelle Lee, and the stars never rise but I see the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And so, all the night tide, I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride, in her sepulchre there by the sea, in her tomb by the side of the sea. So let's have a little bit of a conversation with this poem. And I... um. You know, I brought up at the beginning the idea of dreams and the haunting side of dreams. And in the poem that I read uh, a while back on this podcast, or a while back, like a couple of days ago, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, was Dreamland, where we talked, he, he gave a great line for ghosts, which are sheeted memories, S-H-E-E-T-E-D. So again, when you think about a ghost and how we, you know, have popularize them even casper um and there's actually a ghost or a, a um a movie or a show or something i don't know by casey affleck I, I haven't watched it but i saw it pop up on amazon or something maybe it was netflix i don't know they're all kind of the same these days and it was like something about a ghost and but it had just a person behind a sheet and that was it and that was the show or something about that and i don't know if the guy was tr- what, what the show's about but we we have that as our popular image. Like if you were to dress your kid up as a ghost, you'd probably just get a white sheet, cut out some eye holes, and put it over the kid, right? That's how we think about ghosts. So where, why why is that the image? That's an odd image to put a sheet over somebody, and that is somehow a ghost. And I don't know if it comes from this. It probably doesn't, but it could be you know uh, something that Poe was playing off of when he called called a ghost a sheeted memory. Because if you think about it, if you have a, you know, a dead loved one that comes back to you and haunts you in the form of this ghost, well, it's like a sheeted memory. But if you look at the other side of sheet, that means there's something behind the sheet in, in this case. And so, you know, it's, it's a memory that's kind of blocked from you in a certain sense. It's a memory that you can no longer touch or feel or be with anymore, which is also the nature of memories. When you remember something, you can't touch it. You can't feel it. You can't kiss it or hug it or say hello to it. Or you could say hello to it, but it's, you know that it's not real. It's sheeted from you. And so I thought that was a really interesting way of looking at ghosts and memories. 
And and this uh, poem, Annabelle Lee, I think that comes back in a strong way. This is a poem of loss, for sure. He has The character has lost Annabelle Lee. And it's uh, two young lovers, and we don't know how young when she dies, but we know that you know, he stresses, she was a child and I was a child in this kingdom by the sea. So it could be, you know, if you think about, you know, the, when this is written in the 19th century, although he says uh, um, it was many and many a year ago, so it could have been even longer before that. You know, it's, it's a time before time kind of place, if you know anything about uh, fairy tales and, you know, a t- once upon a time, which indicates that it's not necessarily in our timeline. Like, it's not a place that actually exists. It's not like Cincinnati in 1897, you know, and we're writing this in 1912. It's, it's more like a time that's outside of the continuum of time for us. And that's kind of what that has always meant once upon a time. You know, now we're entering a land that's not really America or Europe or Earth. So he's kind of playing on that, I think. And so we enter this land. It was many and many a year ago in a kingdom by the sea. He doesn't specify, it's just a kingdom. That a maiden there lived, whom you may know, by the name of Annabelle Lee. So, you know, he's indicating that this is a famous story, one that he's, though, however, of course, making up, uh, unless there is a story about Annabelle Lee that I don't know about. And this maiden, she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. So we're in a Romeo and Juliet kind of a love story here, right? It's you know two young lovers in a kingdom. Um, they're you know separated by uh, their only desires to love each other. But what do we have? So that's the setup, the exposition. She was a child, and I was a child in this kingdom by the sea. But we loved with a love that was more than love. I and my Annabelle Lee. So again, this is kind of that Romeo and Juliet kind of a feel to it. We have two kids, star-crossed lovers. Um, that loved with more something that's more than love. Of course, that's you know what it feels like when you're a teenager or it's young love or the beginnings of love. So I'm sure you've experienced falling in love with someone, and you know the first couple months is like a euphoria, it's like an ecstasy, it's like more than love, it's something intense, and that's what is happening with Annabelle Lee and this narrator. Now, what I think is interesting in the story, of course is what happens when the person uh, that you're in love with dies during that intensity. So you feel that intensity, and then the person dies. And so they are kind of um, encapsulated or, or sewn up in this one memory of your life, right? That's there. That's always there. And you never experienced with this person, you never could experience the downside of love, the, the dwindling of the the more than love, where it becomes something different, what you know, the intensity kind of fades and hopefully something deeper replaces it. You never got to that level. You only experienced the high intensity. So with the love that the winged seraphs, so seraphs again are kind of a way of saying angels, the winged seraphs of heaven coveted her and me. So here we have another play with Poe talking about seraphs of angels who want something that is human. Now, believe it or not, this is actually something that is a long-standing view of many angels, or or, uh, literary people have written about this a lot from ancient times to today, the idea that 
because angels are immortal, because the gods are immortal, they actually covet or desire our mortality. I'm trying to remember the line from Iliad. There, there's a line that Achilles says, or one of the characters says that, you know, the gods envy us. And they envy us because we will never be here again. And so the idea of that is that if I'm standing before a woman or a friend, or if I'm standing on a battlefield, I will never be there again. It's, it adds a, an element of intensity and realness and focus that you want to enjoy and understand and appreciate exactly this moment because you're never going to be again. You're never going to have another first kiss, right? But immortal gods... They might be there again one, you know, in a 10 millennia. So there's actually a lot to say about this, kind, this view of mortality and immortality. And it's the same thing of dreaming and not dreaming to some degree. You know, I, I think one of the reasons I'm motivated to do this podcast, Poems for People Who Hate Poetry, is I believe that a side of ourselves is dying in this realm where we believe that we know everything. Because there's information out there, that means we inevitably don't um, even have to understand internally for ourselves or even learn how to get the tools to explore our own inner selves. But that is, I think this is the era when we should be the most equipped to understand and to explore our inner lives, which is what poetry and literature is the realm of poetry and literature, is our inner lives. So anyway, we're going into this world where, you know, seraphs and and angels envy us. And this is an important part of that inner life and the outer life that we live is that as mortal humans, and we're all mortal, and even if we invented something that was like a a panacea to all diseases, a cure-all for everything, and we're able to survive for hundreds of years— you know, unless we become immortal, indestructible robots like a god, there's always going to be uh, an element where there's a side of us that could that knows we can die, and that knowledge is actually um, a good thing that we know that we're not going to be here again, that we're not going to have another first kiss, that we're not going to have another first time into battle, that we're not going to have another t- first time running a business, you know, starting a business. And the gods envy that kind of love because they can't experience that. They've experienced everything forever. You know, so there's so much to talk about. This is kind of the one of the themes of the Dracula strain and why you, you see in vampires a, a longing and a lust that they can experience lust and and sexual love, but they're incapable of that fragility and um you know, first-timedness because they've been around forever. So they've experienced everything, and you get tired of that after a while. So here's the next stanza. So again, these angels envy their love. Why? Because it's the first they can they envy it. And this was the reason that long ago in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud by night, chilling my Annabelle Lee. So that her high-born kinsmen came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulcher in this kingdom by the sea. So there's a lot with the rhyme here that I'd love to talk about, but we won't get into that too much. We're going to focus on, you know, I hope you felt and you feel kind of the rhythm and the rhyme and what that's doing to you emotionally. But 
what we're getting, I think, and the, you know, and the, that was the reason that long ago in this kingdom by the sea is we're seeing how this individual experiences in the future this past event. You know, he's he's putting supernatural elements to it, and he's kind of angry about it. You know, and there's a long, again, a long history of men and women fighting and railing and hating and getting angry at the gods for this injustice. So a wind blew out of a cloud by night, chilling my Annabelle Lee. And then her high-born kinsmen. So again, we're in this world where it's kind of like a Romeo and Juliet thing. It's like she died, and except uh, Romeo doesn't die. Uh, you know, his high-born kinsmen, her high-born kinsmen came out and take her away. And they put her in a sepulcher. And a sepulcher, by the way, you know, it's not common language that we use anymore. Uh, a sepulcher is basically like a stone, often underground grave. So you've probably seen them in movies where you put like a, you know, a person, especially an important, famous, or, or rich person, in a you know, grave that's made completely out of stone. Okay, here's the next stanza. stanza. The angels, not half so happy in heaven. So this is, again, playing on that theme that the angels are not happy. Because how can you be happy if you can't experience death or pain or suffering? Because you need the contrast to, in, order, in order to experience that stuff. It's only humans that get to experience intense love or any real love. When envying her and me, yes, that was the reason, as all men know in this kingdom by the sea. By the way, as all men know in this kingdom by the sea is in parentheses. Like he's saying it as an aside. Like, yeah, all of us know that this, you know, in this kingdom that we live in, which is earth, that heaven, the, those creatures in heaven envy us. They want to be with us. They want to be us more than we want to be them. That the wind came out of the cloud, chilling and killing my Annabelle Lee. But our love, it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we, of many far wiser than we, and neither the gods in heaven above nor the demons down under the sea can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. So, again, you know, I hope you feel that quickening of the pace, the, the blood pulses going up. And, you know, what he's saying is that their love transcends the um, physical, and it goes into the spiritual. Now, I think this is an interesting thing to contemplate when he's talking about these seraphs, which now his Annabali must be an angel, a seraph of some sort, and they envy them as the humans. So it's kind of an interesting paradox that you get in a lot of literature. Because if the angels are envying her and him, and they take her, now she is one of those angels that is envying him and you know his pain, that he can feel that pain. Okay, so he also says that nothing can dissever, can take away my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And the stars never rise, but I see the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And so all the night tide I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride, in her sepulchre there by the sea in her tomb by the side of the sea. Now, just a word real quick on the rhythm here and the rhyme. You'll notice that there um, is a kind of a, a rhyme scheme, which I won't get into, but, you know, bringing me dreams 
But then it goes into Lee, eyes, Lee, down by the side, life of my, and my bride. And then it just goes into by this. This last two lines is kind of jarring to me. I mean, it could just be me, but it sounds like in her sepulcher there by the sea, in her tomb by the side of the sea, that there's kind of a break with the the rhythm and the rhyme all of a sudden. And that is a break that you, you know, again, uh, in great poetry, sound and meaning often go together. So just like we have a break with life and death, and we have the ending of the poem, so we have a break with the rhyme scheme, and, and you know, the rhyme is, of course, ending because there's no more lines after that, but it kind of breaks with, and it, it's kind of jarring, and Poe does this a lot, where there's this jarring feature, and I, a lot of poets do it because it's a good thing to do, because it, you know, and when you do it is important. So, you know, he's here, I think, saying that I am lying, you know, lying by the side of my bride. I'm lying by the side of this woman that I love and, uh, you know, in her sepulcher. So he's either dead, he killed himself like a Romeo would do, right? Or he literally goes by the grave and just lies by her side as the real Edgar Allan Poe did to the young lady or to the older lady that he fell in love with when he was, um, you know, out at, after college. So this is a poem that is mostly, uh, an, you know, it's a narrative poem. And it doesn't have often, you know, as much as the, some of the other Poe poems to talk about, except that it's an interesting thing to contemplate, which is what art is about, to contemplate this form of loss and what it feels like to lose someone in the height of your ecstasy and the, the love that you have felt for them. Yeah, like a young person who uh, is in love with their teenage love and they get in a car accident, and this is really tragic and sad, but in a car accident and one of them dies. And, you know, it's interesting if you read the and listen to songs from the 50s and 40s, 50s, and 60s, you have a lot of that kind of music. And you, even in the movies, it's like, you know, um, there's, there's a tragic, there's an extra tragicness to it in this time of great uh, wealth that we're having and, and abundance. And you have everything except for this intensity of inner world. And, and like we see that in the, the movies and the music. So this poem, I think, adds a little bit of an experience that you may, you hopefully will never have to experience. So we will all lose someone in our lives. That's just a part of living. But what we probably won't have, or I hope we won't experience, is the loss of losing someone in the absolute beginnings of the relationship and the love. Now you may think, well, Kirk, I don't want to experience such a melancholy, sad, tragic thing. I don't want that in my life. And I completely, completely agree and understand. My only argument for understanding tragedy is the catharsis moment, the purging of that emotion once you've experienced it. Now, it may not be a permanent purging, and it's not as though if this actually did happen to you in the future that you would somehow be able to you know, feel it and experience it and that's it. But inside your inner emotion in your kingdom by the sea, you will be far wiser. Now, the reason that you'll be wiser is because what wisdom is, is it's a wealth of experiences. And so, the more experiences that you have internally, 
the more that you can go into your kingdom by the sea, the wealthier that you will be in your wisdom and your life experiences. Because you only live one life, so you can't have an uh, infinite amount of life experiences if you only live that life externally. But if you go internal, which is what literature and poetry allows, if you go into your mind and you build a wealth, a kingdom, an inner kingdom that has all these treasures, then that will expand your wisdom and you'll become more wise. One way to look at wisdom, just real quick, as a side note, is you know, there's information, knowledge, and wisdom. This is how I look at it often is, you know, information is basically what you can find on Wikipedia. It's like the dates and the times of the Civil War. Knowledge is when you comprise that wisdom into like the cause of what is the fundamental cause of the, the Civil War or how it might be taught today, the 75 causes of the Civil War, uh, which I think is a really bad way of thinking. But, but that's knowledge is you're looking for, you're, you're compiling all of the information into knowledge. Wisdom is the application of that knowledge. So it's when something occurs in life and you see the trends and political trends that are similar to what's going on before the Civil War, and you have all this information and all this knowledge about the Civil War and the era before and after it, that you can then use that wisdom to hopefully avoid another Civil War. You know, And that's just one way to think about it, but it could also be an internal Civil War. It could also be within your own self. It doesn't have to be in this grand political Sense. In fact, you know, politics is uh, when it was first talked about was often first talked about in your internal, like how you manage yourself and inside your soul, which is the purpose of poetry. And, and I think if you are a political person, you should first master your own self before you try to master other selves. So I'll end with this: the great function of poetry. You know, because we've been talking a lot about tragic poet poetry here, and, and the question should come up like, why the hell should I learn all this? One of the great functions of poetry, as I've said before, is to awaken the dead. So the poet brings life to the spirit of his reader by quickening his consciousness of language, by making words alive. And that's the great thing about poetry, especially poetry as opposed to literature, you know, novels. This is one thing that poetry does because it uses all the elements of language to brings all of them to bear to quicken your consciousness. Now, consciousness is to know with something. That's what conscience means, to know with something. And words are that thing that you know with. And in order to awaken yourself, and you know to get, especially in our era of slogan what i call sloganistic thinking or headline reading where someone reads a headline you know in in marketing it could be something as simple as snapchat is dead and everybody believes snapchat is no longer relevant in marketing and this is true of you know uh, fake news where you get some story about trump or against trump or for trump and you think it's not true or you get all these stories about the las vegas shooter and you don't know what's true and what's false and that's because we're all susceptible to this um, lack of thoughtfulness and this lack of being able to know with. And that's what language is, is it's to know the world with, by some means. What is the means by which we know the world? Language. There's no other way to know the world. I mean, think about it. Think about it. You can't know the world without language. Um, You can't think without language. You're using words to think. 
So poetry does more than just teach you some random vocabulary that's boring as hell in a, in a dictionary. Instead, it uses language like this poem, and I hope you felt something with it, and if not this poem, then other poems, that quickens your pulse, that gets you, you know, gets your blood pumping a little bit, get your skin tingling, because it uses all the elements of language to bring that to bear, the sound, the rhythm, the rhyme, the meaning, the connotation, you know, the the actual literal meanings that it could be used, and then the multiple meanings that it could be used, as well as the, uh, excuse me, that's the, the emotional side of the connotation, the denotation, what it literally means. So that's the main reason to read poetry. For poems for people who hate poetry, the reason is you will be more alive. And that's the purpose of this podcast. And I hope you stick around for future shows. We'll all start having guests on pretty soon, but we'll converse with the verse together. And in the hopes of awakening that dead part of ourselves that we all have, we all have to constantly jar ourselves away, poke and prod our spirits awake. So here is to talking to you and to awakening your spirit in the future.